Open your Bibles to James. We're in James, the book of James. We're going through the book of James. So let's go to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. Our selected text for today is just five verses, but they're very powerful verses. James chapter 4 and verse 13. James chapter 4 and verse 13. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. For what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, then we will do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whatever, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, to him it is sin. Let's just open up in a word of prayer. Our Father, we thank you for this day. We just ask you that you would open our eyes that we might see wondrous things in your law. In Lord Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. So I'm going to ask you a question. This could be a little bit interactive. If you were to categorize or if uh, there are some medical professionals in this room, how would you know if someone is alive? What characteristics would you look for? How would you know if somebody is alive? What would you say? Pulse? Very good. Yes. Pulse. So you would be checking their blood flow, their pulmonary system. If there's no oxygen, there's no blood moving that, the uh, materials that we need for life, there would be no life. What else was there? What's that? Breathing. Breathing. Exactly, right? Oxygen, we need that. Um, what about, did you have your hand up? <laughs> what would you, you want to say? Exactly. Your heart is pumping. You, see, you, see, I would have went with seeing, talking, you know, somebody. But, you know, there are people that we come across that can't see, but they're still alive. Or they can't hear and they're still alive. Or they can't walk. And those things definitely show us that somebody is alive. But you guys all brought out the core things of life. Breathing, uh, the blood flow, the heart, the pulse, everything. That the heart is working, pumping the blood, and that there's oxygen, getting the fuel for the body to move. Well, let me ask you another question. What would, how would you classify a life that is truly born again or a Christian? What would you look at? Sure, actions. Their speech. Yeah. What's that? Testimony, exactly. Yeah. Well, uh, we're going to look at, in this particular chapter, or this particular section, we're going to look at, I think, something that is at the core of the Christian life. You cannot separate this from a person who is a Christian, that is classified that their life is doing this. And what is it? Well, it's the will of God. And so we're going to look at the will of God tonight. Um, Many people in this world say that they're Christian. 
They have the right speech. They might even go to a church. They might even tell you that they read their Bible every day. But their life is, and, and the other things that would characterize their life, and especially when it comes to the will of God for their life, they totally ignore it. And it would be uncharacteristic for a Christian to be doing that. I think at the core of the Christian life is a person who's dedicated, may not do it all the time, there's going to be failures, right? But is dedicated and has a desire to do God's will. Actually, it says of the new covenant, the covenant that we've come into, there was an old covenant that God has established. It was with a people uh, of the nation of Israel. And he established a covenant with them that they would be his people and that he, and they would be priests and that they would be God's sole possession. And that covenant is still there, but um, it has not been completed yet because they have failed and that they did not come to it by faith. Right? They tried to come to it by works. But there's a new covenant. There's something that as, as God has moved on to a new covenant and where God has enacted this covenant, he is the one that does everything. There's nothing now more that the person that enters into this agreement has to do. Um, think about those who own businesses. Think of like Luke or Joe. You know, when a person comes in to buy your services or they want you to cut their grass or they want you to do something for their teeth, well, they just, yeah, sure, they can do it for free, but there's an exchange, right? There's an agreement. You do the services and I'll give you some form of payment. Well, in the new covenant, God does everything. And one of the things that he says that he does is that he will write his laws, where? Inside the body, inside the heart, right? Not literally inside my, you know, my, my, my internal organs, but inside the person. Before they were trying, oh, it was always outside and they were doing this and there was washings and there was regulations. But now God is going to go into the person revive them, make them alive again, and write his laws inside their hearts. And so I think with that, we have implanted, God has been planted in us, his will. Now, whether we obey it or not, that's another question, right? I mean, that's another story. But I think the Christian as a whole, as they consider their life as a whole, right? There are Christians in, 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 in this room, I, I'm one of them, that, that they can fall into certain different types of sins, but their main objective and main goal, right, is to do God's will. And so here in James chapter 4, I don't know if you've ever taken the time to go through James, but it's a very, very practical book. It's a lot like if you ever read through Proverbs. Um, actually, the two that introduced Proverbs to us and James are the two same person, right? Larry Price. But he said in both, uh, both situations is when you read these two books, you can pick up the first couple chapters of Proverbs. There is a flow. But after that, you can almost pick up a verse out of like out of the out of the chapter and just read it. And the next verse has nothing to do with it. Right. There's little nuggets of wisdom. And here in James, he picks out different things. Now, there is a theme here, I believe, in James. I think we'll we will get to it. But on one hand, you have God's will and what God has for your life and what he's doing in this universe. And the other side, well, there's man's pride. And in this chapter uh, of four, since we haven't uh, been here in a while, I just want to remind you that um, it says here in, the, in, in verse six, I think this is the 
the, the crux in the sense of these three problems that we have here in, in chapter 4. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, but he'll give grace to the humble. And so what is the, what is the three problems that he's talking about here in this chapter? Well, there's problems with worldliness and quarrels and judging your brother and also not doing the will of God. What is the common factor in all three of those situations that you can fall into? Human pride. How do I have problems with my brothers and how can I not get along with them? How do I pass judgment on them so easily? Well, it's my own pride. When God has something for my life and he has a, a specific plan and he, ha- and he wants me to be here and he wants me to serve there, well, I don't want that. Well, that's human pride. I want to be the king of my life. I want to be the, or the queen of my life. I want to direct where I'm going to go. I want to say what I want to do. And, and well, that's human pride. And the quarrels among you and the fights in the first chapter and the wars and the passions and, and, and things that you covet, that's human pride at the core of it. And so these two things are always butting together, right? Is one side is, the, is man's pride or our pride, and the other side is God's will. And it's fascinating when you think about this that um, you can use maybe an example of, a, of an adult and a child, right? An adult, well, not so to speak, but, you know, adult is, is powerful enough to make a child, you know, hey, we're going this way, and they can literally pick them up and take them. Well, in God's situation, in God's case, he's strong enough to make us do what he wants, right? He could reprogram us, as it were, and make us do what he wants. But he's allowed mankind a free will that he wants you and invites you. And and that really speaks to the heart of God, that he would get pleasure out of his creation doing the things that would would bring pleasure. would bring cheer to his heart or bring joy to his heart, doing his will. And so, guys, brothers and sisters and those in this room, at the core of the Christian life is God's will and those who are doing it. And so we're going to look at, um, it's only five verses, but we're going to look at four different responses to God's will here in this chapter, in this section. And so let's go to the next one here. A little too fast. Verse 13, not many verses, and so we'll just continually go over it. Oh, one other thing. I, I, this is the first time I'm going to use this uh, little device. I find it very helpful, but I can keep things in here that I, I wrote down that I wanted to say, but I never want to say it. But at the core also of the Christian, before we get into the, the chapter, you know, the Lord Jesus Christ, there was nobody else that was sold out to do God's will. Except him. And so if he's our example as Christians, we just don't need to look any further than him. This is what it says of the Lord Jesus. It says that in in John 4, that his food, his sustenance, things that he would use to satisfy or to supply his need in his body was none other than God's will. I mean, we we go, sometimes when we get hungry, we'll we'll drive across town to go to a certain restaurant that we want because we want that sort of food. Well, God's food... uh, the son of God's food was to do God's will. Jesus' food was to do God's will. Even at the end of his life, we made mention of it this morning. At the end of his life, he was in that garden. He was sweating great drops of blood, right? Thinking about that, what was about to transpire, he said, not my will, but yours be done. So even until death, 
even until the most difficult part that he had to go through, he set aside his own will to do the will of God. And also it says, there was some, uh, this is repeated in several of, the, several of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but there were a crowd of people that came to him and they were talking to him and then, and then at some point, his blood family came in, uh, Mary and James, and it doesn't say their names, but his relatives came and they wanted to talk to him and they were trying to get to him, but the crowd of people weren't there. Uh, they were blocking and they said to him, hey, your mother and your brothers, they're outside, they want to speak to you. And you know what Jesus turned around and said to the crowd? He says, the ones that do my father's will, that is my mother, that is my brother, that is my sister. Those are the people that are closest to God. You can't get any close than that than those who are doing the will of God. And so what classifies those who are related to God is not blood or anything like that, is those who do the will of God. And also, it says in 1 Peter 4, it says that what a Christian lives for, they no longer live for themselves, but they live to do the will of God. And in John, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 17, I'll just mention these things. You can go back on your own and read it. But in heaven, what do you think heaven's going to be filled with? Well, there's lots of things that it will be filled with. Angels, angelic beings, God himself will be there. Well, it's going to be filled with people that have eternal life. And what those people have eternal life is doing God's will. Right? That is where we will have people that... The people that have eternal life are characterized by those who do God's will. And so, again, at the core of the Christian is a desire is the um, is and God gives the ability right to do God's will. And so really, it's us too surrendering. We're getting a little ahead of ourselves, but surrendering ourselves right to do God's will. And it's a constant thing every day because our pride is is in our sinful nature and our sin tendency, right, will appear, but we have the strength in the Lord, in the Spirit of God, right, to do these things. He's implanting it in our hearts to do it. So the first thing we want to look at is, well, there's four responses here, as I said. Let's look at 13. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. If you look at that, and you can read that verse. Well, what is inherently wrong with that verse? What is really bad about what's been said? Anybody that makes, um, well, that has a mindset to be a successful business person or to make some progress, well, they're always looking for new ideas. And they're always looking ahead. They're not going to stay stagnant in one place. They're going to expand and, and into some... Um, Maybe uh, getting their name out there and to, um, to explore new territory. What's wrong with that? If you're a businessman, well, there's nothing, right? That anybody that would be successful in business would look in that. Today and tomorrow, we'll go such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Well, what is missing out of there? It's the absence of what God wants. And so I just, I just labeled this as ignoring God's will. This is type of person... Number one is your typical atheist who doesn't believe God exists. They say, you know what? God, who's that? We're going to go here. 
We're going to go there and we're going to make money. We're going to do this, this and that. And nobody's going to stop us. Now, when we think about that, even if you talk to unbelievers, they'll admit they don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. They don't even know what's going to happen the next minute. But yet they'll conduct their lives in such a way that think that that will happen or not even involve God who knows the future. And so the one who's an atheist is the one who ignores God's will. What's the flaw with this? You might even think what it is, what it tells us. It says, yet you don't know your life. I mean, you don't know what tomorrow will bring. For what is your life? You are but a mist that appears a little time and then vanishes. And so what is wrong with that statement? Well, for one, it doesn't make it doesn't leave room for God and what he wants in your life or what he wants in this world. But you don't even know what your life is. You don't know the future. Right. We are bound by time. I was born April 15th. I don't even know what happens March 2nd or later in March 1st. And so we are bound. We are limited by a timeline. But God, on the other hand, he's outside of that. And so he understands and sees everything. And so what is, you don't even know what tomorrow is. How can you make such a statement as that? It also says, describing human life, for you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. One of the oldest books in, in our Bible, written, um, at least dated-wise, it's, it's found in the middle, but it's Job. He says this one. This is in the middle of the trials that he was going on in Job 7, verse 6. It says, My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle. Chapter 9, 25. My days are swifter than a runner. They flee away and see no good. And if you think about it, Job probably lived eight times longer than any of us in this room will ever live. I mean, he lived a pretty long life because he was in that time frame in the beginning. It says that maybe two, five hundred years, I don't know, six hundred years. He lived a long time. And if he would classify his life like that, that my days are just fleeting by, that's what life is. It's very short. First Chronicles 29:15 says this, David in his address to the nation of Israel after the building of the temple, for we are sojourners before thee and tenants. All of our day, dates were as, or days are like a shadow. And, he, and David puts it, brings it into perspective that this is God's planet. We are tenants. We are working in it. He has given us something to do. And then at some point, we're gone off this scene. We're tenants. We're just like a shadow. Actually, the Lord gives a parable about this in um, Matthew 21. He, it says of this, in, of, of a, um, a landowner, he plants and creates this vineyard and builds a tower. And he, you know, he does everything to produce the produce that he wants. He does everything right. All he needs to do is he brings in some workers to attend to it. Here's the ground. Here's the seed. Go ahead and plant it and bring me back the produce. Well, what did they decide to do? You know what? No, thank you. I'm going to take it for myself. And what did they do? Well, the landowner sends in different people, and then they ultimately, what comes out is their disdain for that landowner. And that's the, that's the MO of this world. Their disdain for the creator. They say, no, thank you. You created this thing for your pleasure. We're going to take it and do what we want with it. What do you think God's going to do, just as that landowner did? He's going to come in there 
and destroy them all. And that's exactly what's going to happen later. So those who want to continue in this ignoring God's will and say, no, thank you, God, I'm going to do what I want. Well, God's answer, actually, we just heard about it. The great white throne. People want to think they're going to be, uh, the way they're going to get to heaven is to have their good deeds outweigh their, their bad deeds. Well, guess what? God's going to weigh your bad deeds. And it's going to sink you right into hell at the great white throne. He's going to say, depart from me. And so the ignoring of God's will is a destructive path. It's classified by one who would be one who ignores God completely. Not even that they know that God says, no, thank you. No regard for God. They just plan along and they live their, their life. Our days are like a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. And that should also speak to us, those of us who are believers, right? To understand that life is short. And to understand that while God has left us here as he's those tenants that were brought in to, to till his vineyard and to bring him produce, what exactly does God want to see in our own life? Does he want to see a persistent path of the Christian continually doing and fighting against what he wants in their life? Or does he want that Christian to bring him joy and to see them bring fruit and to, uh, to live for God's will? Remember it says in Peter, it says that they no longer live for the lust of this world and the lust of their hearts and, and, and those things that would please the flesh. The, the Christian now lives for God's will. And so that really should speak to us. Well, what is the next one? Let's look in verse 16. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. And so this is the person that disregards God's will. They say, you know what? I know God's will exists. I know God exists. And I'm sure he has a will. But you know what? I'm going to do what I want. So different than the first person who doesn't even, it just completely ignores God. This person knows that God exists and says, no, thank you. I'm going to continue doing what I want to do. And look what it says here. All such boasting is evil or wicked. If you look at that word, there was also another person who was described as the wicked one. Who would that be? That would be, yeah, the devil, Satan. And what would classify that person who was created for God's pleasure? It says this, that he was a covering angel. He had a a specific uh, uh, job or chore in his existence to do one thing, right? He was a covering angel for God's glory and to serve God. What did he end up doing? He says, you know what? Looked around. I want to be like the Most High. And all those I wills in Isaiah, I will be this, I will be that, I will raise up. And what did God do? He cast him right back down. And so his life now is, is, or his existence, right, is against God's will. So he would disregard it. And it, and it classifies him as the wicked one. And so those who would boast against God's will or boast in their arrogance, it says here, all such boasting is evil. doesn't mean that you become Satan, but you're you act just like him. You act just like the, the wicked one. All such boasting is evil. As I said earlier, that the, the, one of the central underlying problems 
of a lot of the quarrels and a lot of the, the you know, James is very practical, as we said, but a lot of the, the practical nature in the things and why we come in there and we're judging our brothers. And as it says here, you speak evil with one another. What is at the heart of it? Well, it's man's pride and the boasting. Not only just boasting, but boasting in arrogance. Have you ever met somebody like that? That they were just, you know, that's what they, they boast in the things that are shameful or they take pleasure in those things, it, it, whatever it is. Well, God says that he will resist the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so God's retribution or God's swift judgment or what people deserve doesn't happen immediately, right? Thank the Lord it doesn't. Sometimes we want that. Not for ourselves, of course, for other people, right? Have you had somebody cut you off in traffic or maybe somebody get a promotion ahead of you at the job and say, well, I know that they did something incorrectly or they did something under the table or I hope there's a cop up there to pull that person over. But when it comes to our stuff, oh, please, Lord, give me grace, give me grace. But we don't want to extend it to other people. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So why not be on that side? You know, why, why would, it's not even the fact that we're disregarding who God is or ignoring God. It's the fact that we're taking him out of the picture and all the benefits that he brings. As I said, why wouldn't you want, you know, this is not like, I haven't seen these commercials in a while, but there was a, a big push to know what the future is. And you go to these different fortune tellers and there was even a, a commercial of this woman with a Jamaican accent, she would, you know, call her, call her and she'll tell you what the future is. You know, people are really intrigued. What is, what's in store with my life? What comes next? They're dying to know. There's, a, there's an emptiness because they're disconnected from God. Why not be reconnected and bring him back into the picture and all the blessings that come with that? To know that somebody who knows the future inside and out, who knows where things are going, and, you know, uh, Matt spoke on Friday, and I really appreciated some of the things that he brought out. But he, he spoke about the Lord Jesus. But one of the things that he brought out was in Colossians. It says of, of the Son of God, just a few, it's a few words in chapter 1. He, he created everything, but it says, All things consist. All things endure because of him. All things are held together because of him. We could just, it's just five little words. And so this entire universe that we see and all the laws that govern it, who do you think is behind that, holding it together? God. I mean, that to me is mind-blowing to think that he has the mental capacity. We can barely even keep our own lives together sometimes. Or even something that, you know, even our own family and what's going on, that he would be able to con- control things that are far out of, that you know, we can't even see with magnified telescopes or something that would amplify our vision that he knows what's going on out there. And the black stars and the sun and the, and the formation of galaxies and the, and the rotation and everything. Who do you think is holding it together? All things consist by him. He holds all things together. All things are enduring because of him. And so why not have him in our plans of our life? Why put him out? Why disregard him? Why ignore him? Not just that he exists, but that you are ignoring the blesser, the one who brings things together. All such boasting is evil. And now we'll look at the third one. Now this one is probably more closer to home for most of us. Maybe some of us. Verse 17. 
So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. Now, I've heard this verse many times, and I've heard it quoted in a way that, well, this is for the sins that you admit, omit to do in your life. And, you know, that is true in itself, but I never really looked, actually, until I studied this for this time, to actually look in the context of what it's saying. This is saying those who know the will of God, yes, they're different than the other people. They know God exists. They know he has a will for their life. And they say, no, thank you. I will not do it. So different than the first person. He doesn't even acknowledge who God is. He ignores God. The other person, well, I might know that there's a God, but I'm just going to disregard him and live the way I want to. This is the person who knows God exists and knows his will, but chooses not to do it. And so to admit, omit something in your life, right? Knowing what to do, doing it right, and not doing it, right? That's what he's saying. But you're choosing something that's worse in the same sense. If I have something in my hand and I want to pick this thing up, well, I need to put this down, and in doing so, I'll pick this up. I don't have to think about picking it up or dropping that. The the two actions are hand in hand. And so if I'm going to admit something from my life and what God wants me to do, well, I'm choosing something that's worse or I'm choosing something that's another path. And so really what the, this person is doing is he knows the right thing to do, but he chooses not to do it. Have you ever been in that situation as a believer? You know what God wants you to do in your life. You know God's will. Now, Well, what is God's will? It's our next slide. The correct way. Let's look in verse 15. Now, this is the person who makes allowances for everything that the other, per, the other types of people say no thank you to. He says, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, then we will do this or that. And so that person understands that they're a vapor. That person understands that they don't know what tomorrow holds or what the very next second holds. They include God in their plans. They say, if the Lord wills, we're going to go do that. If the Lord wills, I'm going to go to that city and make money. I'm going to do business and I'm going to come back in a year. What the first person left out of their life. And so there is a correct way to respond to God's will. It's to say, if the Lord wills, we're going to do that or this and that. And normally that's what we're praying about in our prayer lives, right? Some kind of situation comes up. Whatever it is is affecting our life. Well, God, take me out of it. I need to know what comes ahead. And we're praying, God, if it's your will, please do it. Well, what about right now? What has God told us what his will is now? Has God, is is there anything in God's scripture that tells us what his will is for our life? I know when I was a, a teenager and I was thinking about, you know, the future in college and, and whatnot, you know, I was praying what God's will is for my life. Well, really what I was praying for was the things that I wanted God to do in my life, right? God, God gave us some things that he wants us to do as believers already. He's giving it. This is the will of God. But generally we're so consumed with what the unknown thing is, you know, where I should work. Should I go for that promotion? Should I leave my job and go somewhere else? Who should I marry? Um, should I buy this house? There's a new car. Ooh, I don't know. I think I have enough money. 
Is God, is this your will for me to buy? Now, does God care about those things in our life? Of course. Of course. But the focus, again, right, what has God already let us know what his will is? Well, let's, let's look at a couple. And then we'll just end with this. We're just going to go this in the way that they appear in the scripture, not necessarily any kind of order, but let's look. Romans 12, in verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service. Do not be conformed with this world, but be transformed by the renewing, renewing, renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so the person who is giving themselves right to service or giving themselves and turning them over is the person who's doing God's will. If you're doing anything but that, you're disobeying it. And now that we're looking at this, now we know what God's will is. And so we're going to be held accountable. But this is God's will, that you turn your body, you turn your talents, you turn your possessions over to God and say, God, do what you want with them. And what comes with that? There's a transformation, according to this verse, there's a transformation that God is molding you and bringing you under the subjection of the Holy Spirit who, will, who transformed your life to be like Christ. Let's look at another one. So that's service. Ephesians. Ephesians 5, 17. Therefore, do not be foolish... Do not be foolish, by, uh, but understand what is the will, what the will of the Lord is. Do not be drunk with wine, and for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit. And so, on one hand, you have something that can control your life and control the things that you do and say, and sometimes things that you're not too proud about. Well, the writer here in Ephesians says, you know what? Be controlled by something else, not just something, but someone else, the Spirit. So be controlled by the Spirit. That is the will of God. Don't be controlled by some foreign substance, but be, con- be controlled by someone. Understanding what is the will of the Lord is. Be controlled by the Spirit. Let's look at another one. 1 Thessalonians. I I put one. Thank you. Verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Now, in particular, I put sanctified or uh, the idea of sanctification is being set apart. God sets you apart for something. He's bringing you out of, of something else and placing you here. But in particular, in this chapter, it's sexual impurity. How many Christians struggle with that? How many of us struggle with that? Well, that's God's will, your sanctification. That you be abstained from those things and be sanctified for his use. God uh, would talk about in his word and another portion of scripture about different vessels or different uh, objects that you would eat and that you would drink from. And he says that there are those that are common things and then there are those that you bring out. Oh, well, you know, President Obama's coming over to my house. I need to bring out my, my nice china set. 
And see, that's what we want to be. We want to be those vessels that are, are, are something that were, would bring joy to the life, uh, to the heart of God, but that would be something not common. Well, what is the will of God for my life? Your sanctification. Being set apart for God's will. And in particular in this chapter, abstaining from sexual immorality. Let's look at another one. First Timothy. First Timothy two and verse four. God desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the, of the truth. You know that God's will is that everyone to be saved. That's God's will. And so, are most people obeying God's will at this point in this world? No. They say, no, thank you. I don't care about what God wants. Well, that's God's will that he wants all men to be saved. That is the will of God. And so, everybody could be falling under one of these things. doesn't matter if you're a believer or you're not. God's will is out there. He's let us know. God's will for, uh, for the entire world is that they all would, come, would be saved and that they would come to the knowledge of truth. Let's just look at two more and then we'll be finished. These are both found in 1 Peter. But in 1 Peter 2.13 says this, that be subject for the Lord's sake to every, to every human institution, whether it be the emperor or supreme or to governors as is sent by and punished to do evil or to praise a good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you might put to silence the ignorance and foolish people. And this is a quite common thing or theme, at least in my circle where I worked at. Well, really, it, they, they would, any kind of subject they like to complain about, but in particular is the way things are going in the politics. Oh, this person does this, and I can't believe them. Oh, well, you know... He's not, you know, they have all the things that are wrong, but they don't know what the answers are, right? Well, this is the things that he's doing wrong. Well, what is it that he can do that's right? What's the answer then? How do we fix the economy? How do we do these things? Well, you know what? The Christian is called to be submissive to those powers, right? It's very easy to get caught caught up in complaining about those who are in authority. Oh, I can't believe they're doing things like that. I can do better. And because they're not doing things this way or the way I think they should, I'm not going to obey them. What's God's will for your life? You That you submit to those authorities. Now, this is a tough pill to swallow for some people. Because we have some, we just got to look far. We have some uh, bosses that are very hard to get along with. Right? God's will for your life is to be submissive to those people. All authorities. And you know... When Peter's writing this, he says, it says here in my translation, emperors. Can you think of any Roman emperor that were favorable to Christians? None. Some of them, they did some uh, uh, very terrible things to Christians. Putting them on crosses, burning them alive as torches, different things. I mean, that's awful. And Peter says, by the Holy Spirit's direction, submit yourself to them. And so God's will is to be submissive. That includes those and this is a very popular theme now, is the complaint about police officers and what they're doing and over excessive violence and things like that. Now I'm not saying none of that exists, but you're called to submit to those because they are the authority figure over you, right, in this land. 
They're the arm of the authority. So submit yourselves. And really the entire Christian life is, is one of submission. Our Lord Jesus Christ says that our example was one who submitted himself to the Father's will. And as our example, we're called to be submitted, submissive. Right? Okay. Also in First Peter, just one page over maybe. This one might be a difficult one for some to swallow. I know sometimes we don't like to think about this, but it is, for it is better to suffer for doing good, for that should be God's will than for doing evil. And so sometimes there's suffering that comes in our life. Right? A person who is, has transgressed the law and now the full uh, weight of the law has come upon them and now they're sent to prison. They're in a place of suffering. But are they suffering for doing good? No. They're suffering for doing something that was evil. Well, God said that's not God's will that you suffer for doing evil. That, that's just natural. That's the natural laws of this life. If you do something wrong, you're going to have to pay for it. Right? If, I, if I'm not paying my mortgage, well, I'm going to default. There's, there's going to be a penalty. But God, God says, said you should suffer for, what is, for doing something good. And... That might be a little tough to swallow because we want, we want things to be in the natural order. I do something that's right, I should be rewarded by, for doing it. But in this, in this life, sometimes it's the opposite, or, you know, it's the other way around. I do something that would be right, and in turn, something bad happens to me in, in the immediate. Maybe I get fired from my job for choosing to honor the Lord instead of maybe dishonoring him. Well, God says that that's his will, that you should suffer for doing good. Now, we might not experience totally every, all the suffering that is out there that the Christians are enduring. I don't think we are. Not even close by a long shot, right? Sometimes their lives are on the line. But there is some suffering that we can choose to avoid by not standing up for God's will or not fulfilling God's will. Well, this is God's will that we do suffer, just to keep that in perspective. There's other ones as well, but I just wanted to highlight those. As you see, they're all S's. I actually, um, this is one list that was given to me by my father a long, long time ago. And I wrote it in the beginning of my book. But, um, well, what is the will of God for my life? It's to be dedicated to him, service. It's to be filled with his spirit. It's to be sanctified, to abstain from sexual immorality. It's to those who are not believers, right, to be saved. God's will is that every man, woman, child to be saved. He wants them to come to the knowledge of the truth. He wants every believer to be submissive, not just to the church authorities, right, our elders. Sometimes we have problems with them, and we like to talk about them behind their back, or, or that this sister and that sister will be submissive, not just to authority figures, including those who are, you know, difficult, but be submissive, and also to suffer for, what, for doing good. And when we do choose something that's good, and of course God does reward us. It might not come in this lifetime, but it'll be better in the next. But it's to suffer for doing what is good. And so what is the correct way? Well, we're to say, if the Lord wills, we will do this and that we will do that. And so let's include him in our plans. Right? He is the blesser. He is the one who knows all things. And it'd be foolish as a Christian Right to disregard him and to say, or not to include him, or not to make um, allowances for him to change things as we like to plan. Uh, 
says in uh, one part, and I'm forgetting the reference, but the king plans his steps, or he plans the way that he wants the country to go, but God directs it, right? God is the one that's directing it behind. And so let's include him in our plans and not disregard him, but let's also obey his will. What is his will that he, he has revealed to us? Well, there it is. Service, spirit-filled sanctification, uh, to be saved, to be submissive, to suffer. There's other things as well. But let's be concerned about the things that he has revealed about us and be submissive to his own will and to fill it out in our lives. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for your scripture. That it is a guidebook. We thank you for your spirit who has given us uh, give us understanding. We just pray, Lord, that we would be doers of the word and not just hearers. In Lord Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.